equals spin The propaganda's win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1 of 200, the independent politics and media podcast. We've got another midweek podcast. That's three in a row uh, to talk about some different issues that aren't just current events. My oh my. We're joined this evening by Dr. Andrew Dixon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Kyle. Lovely to be here. We've wanted to uh, chat with you uh, about this for a while. Um, you know, we've we've talked about it previously. Uh, you've also uh, written a couple of articles about it out there. And that has to do with this issue around ACC cover. You know, it's something that pops up broadly in the media and in the political sphere once or twice a year. And it's the kind of question of what does AC, co- AC cover and, and what doesn't it cover uh, and why? It's one of these um, health economics questions uh, that often seems to put administrators, bureaucrats, health professionals um, and you know victims or patients in some really, I'm going to say morally gray um, or just difficult positions. Now, the the issue that you've written about uh, previously, and you have some really kind of clear experiences with, is the ACC coverage for babies injured during birthing. Before we, we kick into the details of that, though, do you want to kind of introduce yourself to our audience, where you come from, what you do, and what your lived experiences around this? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you. So, um, uh, kia ora. My, my name is uh, Andrew Dixon. So, I um, until about two years ago, was a uh, health sociologist uh, at Massey University, and I'm not anymore. I now work in a range of kind of uh, different areas. So I do some lecturing uh, at Otago University, which I'm thoroughly enjoying this semester. Um, I also do a lot of disability advocacy for um, usually parents who who have kids who have been injured during birth but also other people who have uh, suffered uh, injuries. And the reason I do that is that I understand very deeply the difference between the care and support you receive, the public health and welfare systems, and what you receive if you have cover from ACC. And I'd probably take this point to say that I, I am a member, and I'm, I'm a proud member of the ACC Scheme Customer Advisory Panel, and I'm not speaking on behalf of that panel here or ACC at all. Um, I'm speaking entirely from my own personal uh, perspective, but I just wanted to uh, make that clear. So my son, Ben, uh, who's now 13, uh, suffered a brain injury during his birth, which was 13 years ago. The maths there is stacking up. So Ben had a really difficult birth and uh, he had a couple of moments of desaturation, so hypoxia, one in utero and one after he was born. And the result of that is he's got a um, a complex set of health needs, which sort of span, people might see it as kind of autistic-like. Um, he has Tourette syndrome, which causes a great deal of angst, um, and also sometimes humour, but more the angst side. Um, a little tip here, just for parents of kids with Tourette syndrome, don't show them the Juice Bigelow movie. The reason I say that is that they pick up ticks and uh, yeah, that took a little while <laughs> to work through the system, um, though it was very enjoyable as a family. So, uh, so Tourette's syndrome, he also has cerebral palsy, so he's physically disabled, though he can walk and run, you know, to some degree. 
Um, and he's got a whole lot of kind of sensory issues. So he has issues with executive function and like coping in the classroom and that kind of stuff. On the good side, he's really smart and he's got a, a wonderful sense of humor and he's really charming. So people like thoroughly enjoy spending time with him and, and that kind of stuff. He's a great kid. Um, and he'll be a fantastic adult. I mean, I can already see it uh, coming through. So his experiences uh, and our experience with helping him kind of come into uh, the world and, you know, trying to raise, I mean, raising kids is like complex and it's, <laughs> it's never easy. And, and if you have a disabled kid, it's really hard, like lots of different areas that it's hard. And I worked out fairly quickly that, the, there was this kind of two-tier system that we had in Aotearoa. And when you talk to people about us, they often don't see it. So it's very stark, like the, a very distinct system where we have some people uh, who are a level of care that is significantly different to others. And that's based entirely on what caused their need in the first place. So causation sits at the root of, the, of our system, and it's really arbitrary. This is based our legislation so this is no government agency going rogue or being evil or, or anything like this it's a systemic ongoing issue that's kind of been churning through our society since 1974 but um, that means it could is, be fixed with legislation oh yeah definitely absolutely and the the green party have a current proposal in place to reform ACC to uh I think it's the they call it the agency for comprehensive care I um not 100% sure on that, but I'm fairly good, which would basically try and level out those differences. No, there is, I don't think there's been a single government since 1974 who has not recognised that this is an issue. The thing is that the differences between the systems weren't as stark as they are now. What happened, we all know, um, you know, post-1984, neoliberalism rolled in and just away those, some of those benefits that, that people would get in sort of chipped away at the health system and chipped away at the workforce um, and bolstered the private sector aspect of that. And the result from that is that there is now a bigger um, uh, split between what you get if you're covered on ACC or if you have private health insurance, let's be fair, and what you get if you are in the public health system and on public welfare. So I could see that coming and I thought, okay, Ben, if Ben gets cover, he's going to have this this organisation looking after him until he's sixty five or longer. And I thought, yeah, I want that because that's the this is what I want. I want a government agency that looks after my disabled child when he's a disabled teenager and when he's a disabled adult. And I don't want him to have to fight and scrap and bargain in order to try and just get by, which is the lived reality for many of the disabled people in in our country. Yeah. Does that, is that good enough background? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's extensive. And there's so much to get into there. You know, there's a whole history behind it. And I, I think that description of the way that it's been chipped away over the last 40 odd years uh, and kind of we're left in a position where it's it's very, very apparent. And, you know, we've had this discussion about a range of different um, entitlements, uh, that two-tier system, yeah. where there are haves and have-nots, and the outcomes are just traveling away from each other at light speed. And I think one of the, you know, you're saying 
you wanted your son to uh, be looked after, whether he's a teenager or an adult. You know, and people say, oh, but he, you know, he's he's got his parents to look after him. Like, you're fighting on his behalf. That's not always the case, you know, and yep. you have no guarantee, like, that, you know, everything goes well. And without a systemic, what do you call it, safety net for that stuff, as opposed to, you know, an individual one, that's, that's about it. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we know that a disabled child is more than about twice as likely to live in material hardship as a non-disabled as an able child there's a really good reason for that and the reason is that that disabled child has requirements people would say put demands on their family that's a terrible way of saying it they have requirements they need care that um means their family are not able to participate in the economic institution that we've managed to build build uh, in this country not not a nice economic institution you know i, I uh, i'm a, a, a kind of classic example of that you know the the reason that um my wife and i were able to get to where we are currently is because i had an academic career which enabled me to have a super flexible lifestyle so i had very few demands on my time in terms of where i really had to be at any one point there were large periods of my time where i worked from my car in the parking lot at the school when ben was really little because there was a reasonable chance that i was going to get called um particularly in the afternoon so i could sit and grade papers or you know read you know read theses or write or whatever in the parking lot because you know as an academic you do that kind of stuff it's pretty normal um we were also able to live on one income because we lived in Palmerston North and we already owned a house. Well, to be fair, we barely lived on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, academics earn well, it's, but the cost of living, you know, everyone knows it's so disabled kids, they need more than two parents on average. They need more than two. If you say that, you know, one, if you say one, uh, one child, uh, uh, you know, two people can have two children and live, relatively well you need a kind of third help just for all of the additional stuff that goes along with that to me i think that's the responsibility of the state and i just say it quite quite boldly you know i have this i have this thing kind of call it under the term hush money so the the idea is that uh parents of able kids they look at parents with disabled kids and it's 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 a really uneasy relationship and part of that i think is because when you when you've got able kids you kind of like look at a, a parent with a disabled kid and you think fuck i'm glad that's not me right and i can say this because i'm the other i'm the other parent and you don't like you're not being evil with that you just hmm. kind of and then you think to yourself i'm really glad they're getting support you know it's kind of like hush money but then you talk to them and you're like well actually nah it's not there you know and that makes people super uncomfortable because they actually expect that the state is looking after disabled children, right? That's what they expect. And the more I talk to people about it, particularly birth injury, the more people are literally stunned that mm-hmm. the the situation we're in. And oh, yeah, so I'm all I'm all about the um the awareness, you know, trying trying to say it, we our parents with disabled kids don't need charity. They they don't need you to you know offer to make them meals they need um income support uh in order to provide care hours and they need access to specialist treatment and care and they need teacher aids for their school for the school that's those three things together and then we're probably pretty good to cope uh and i, I think that 
we just need to make that really explicit. Yeah, and and I could see we and I suppose the other thing is we have a framework where it works really well, and this is the accident compensation scheme. It works really well. I mean, the, the, okay, so there'll be a load of people listening to this going pulling their hair out for the horrors they've had with <laughs> that, just like they've had with loads of. But um, the system itself is really quite impressive at providing the level of care that Ben needs. Is it just because it's me? Well, actually, I talk to a lot of people who have gone from not in to in. I talked to a mum the other day, and she said it's like Rolls. It's going from a Corolla to a Rolls Royce in terms of service. Yeah. And and I my so my vision is that this is what everyone gets, you know, because we have a state that. Pro- that recognizes responsibility and provides that level of care. Yeah. And, you know, you've extrapolated that out um, from this specific issue into this wider issue where, you know, there are multiple people, not just uh, people who uh, were injured at birth, who are not getting the care that, you know, some would say, and I'm one of them, uh, you should be entitled to as a member of a society. Like, you know, it is the role of the state to be providing that framework. But in this particular case, this is, an arbitrary carve out, you know, as you you kind of mentioned before, why, how did, how do they, if you know, uh, how do they come up with this list? How did this end up being left off? Uh, and what's the situation in the specific subset that we can use to extrapolate to the wider community? Yeah. So, um, so we're talking about birth injury. So injuries sustained during the birthing process. And in the article, I referred to multiple adults who could get injured during that but obviously the birthing parent is the primary um, uh, person who suffers an injury. But, you know, uh, anyone else in that room could get injured. I, I think when Ben was born, there was about 13 people in the room. And you know, any of them could have hurt themselves in some way. And all of them would have been entitled to ACC cover. The reason that the birthing parent wasn't automatically entitled to um, ACC cover was that the ACC legislation is... that. ACC work under a very tight legislative um, set of requirements, and so you can't they they don't they can't make they can't make decisions about what they carve out. That has to be done through um, the process of the government. So uh, I, I think what's so broadly what's happened is people have recognised, and uh, Jan Loki was kind of key to this, and others um, uh, the reporting of. Uh, Anusha Bradley and uh, also some of the lawyers from John Miller Law were really kind of advocating for having these injuries covered because there are a lot, a lot of um, birthing parents get injured during the birth process and those injuries can be heinous. And, you know, I'm very aware that we're two sitting here talking about women uh, injuries that primarily happen to women, but they are really horrible and they have often lifelong consequences. But if they get good treatment and they get it quickly, it can be a huge benefit in terms of, you know, the 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 sort of process from there. And they're also, and I'll say this from an, from perspective, relatively straightforward to fix. So when you say, and this is not always the case, it's just most, it's reasonably cheap. In fact, I I think there's been some reporting recently showing that that the there's actually been a lot less claims under this particular carve out than they thought there were going to be in the first year and and it's not that expensive to fix them if a baby suffers an injury during birth it is always an 
hypoxic injury, it is always a brain injury. Or, I mean, almost exclusively brain injuries. The sequelae of those are lifelong and complex, and they don't you don't rebuild or rehabilitate them. So I think the estimate is between thirty and fifty million dollars per baby per over their lifetime, which is is probably excessive. I don't think it is that much, but that's the calculation. Now there aren't that many <laughs> babies that are injured during birth. We have a really good maternal care system in Aotearoa, so it's probably up to three hundred and sixty per year. I think the figures would be between. 180 and 360. Reason it's quite grey is that you don't know. You can there's a lot of measurements you can take, but you don't know what's happened to that baby, right? So you have to kind of wait, and it takes you know sometimes some years before you can say this is what happened. The thing that really annoyed us is that MB. So they went to MB and they said, "What is of course. the let's, right. let's go to MB." <laughs> so, but I mean, you know, MB writes in their um. Uh, regulatory impact statement, you know, parents of babies who are injured during these things are going to be a bit pissed because, you know, it's the same event. So MB's kind of, I mean, they didn't come out and say, you you should be doing this, but they directly pointed to it. And good. I mean, I'm... Okay, they get a pass this time. They get a pass, yeah. And and, and most of the other parties were, were in support of including babies, but, you know, they were specifically excluded actively with intent excluded and i i i mean for me i I can't forgive that i i just have being the parent of the baby i can't forgive that so was this when um birthing parents were added they decided to exclude yes the the babies and and when was that uh so the legislation is a year old so it came into effect uh late 22 um and so the process, the the kind of legislative process was through um, most of 2022 and maybe the start of 21. So yeah. there's this huge issue <laughs> with the way this stuff was covered, and there were you know at least two parties uh, involved, and they knew they needed to fix something, and they they went through and they created legislation to fix it, and then they didn't. Yeah, I don't think they ever intended to include babies. I think it was that they intended to fix the birthing parent. Um, but they never intended to to cover the babies. I'm I'm trying to put myself in the position, their position. They would say there are a whole lot more birthing parents injured than babies, so the babies do the damage, right? You know, yeah, sure. but they're often fine. My argument was why it doesn't matter. It's it's like a car crash, you know. Yeah. If you're in the car, you're covered. You know, you know if you if you if you make the carve out for the event, then everyone there. Is is part of the carve out, um, and the oh. other thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, there are lots of situations where not many of these things happen that would be covered by ACC. Oh, definitely. So, yep. did they? Was there ever any reasoning as to why they would? They would probably say so. They'd say a few things. So they'd say one: some babies are covered, right? And that's under what we call the treatment injury provisions. This is how Ben received cover, and it's only a very small number. And I think it's around about 20 a year. And it pretty much has to be really obviously someone made a mistake. Right. Um, even though this, the AC system is no fault, there's an issue in the legislation called ordinary consequence, where 
you can say there's an ordinary consequence of something occurring during an event. Many baby brain injuries fall into that category. In oh, which that's case, a horrible euphemism. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, when you think about it, what it really says is we're accepting that having a brain injury during birth is ordinary for some people. And it's really, I mean, the legislation is, and the case law is interesting. It's really complicated, hard to get into. Um, ACC as an institution is really in a bit of a corner about mm -hmm. this. So they, their legislation holds them, you know, they have to work under the legislation. I mean, all, you know, government agencies do. I'm, not, I'm you know, I won't give them a free pass on that because there are definitely improvements and way things you know things you can do differently my point the point i was trying to make in the article is that you could just create a carve out it certainly is not the first time that people argued for a carve out for baby brain injury i mean i've been banging on this for some years now to be fair in the media i think i was you know i had an interview with Catherine ryan about it on nine to noon some years ago you know there, there is just a there is a good argument to be made for baby brain injury to be to be a carve out because of the complexity associated with that and here we had an opportunity with a real like we had both the green party and the act party trying to get labor to include babies uh, you know that's a thing right you know though someone pointed out to me on on twitter that um uh the act party acc spokesperson tony severin has actually dropped down the rankings in the on the list you know whereas if you listen to her her speech around this birth injury stuff it's pretty good so so i'm like oh okay she must have been too like Socialist. too reasonable yeah too <laughs> well now they've pushed this um pharmaceuticals guy to, to the top of their list right who is like sorry every medical decision is an economic calculation uh which we might get into oh, later on um, yeah i've got a lot to say about that kyle <laughs> <laughs> so they, they did this did labor give like you had two minor parties pushing for it uh trying to get this added to the legislation did labor just say sorry cost too much yeah so they do say cost too much so they say they have a fiscal responsibility to manage um the acc scheme um and they also said that it would create further inequalities with babies that have genetic conditions that are not covered that would never be covered by ACC unless the Green Party policy came into force. So they're saying so there they're saying and, and that's, I that's find dark. This, I find this really dark here. So there they're saying so they're not denying that they have injuries, right, that it's an injury. And they're not so they're not denying that they'd prefer that not to be the case. But they're saying because uh babies who have genetic conditions get this really like have a worse life ahead of them because we don't support them that well. We don't want to add failing. any more. Yeah, because we don't want to add any more into that good bucket. We don't because... want to fail less. Uh, so we'll fail more because this other thing's failing. That's obscene. Oh, it's a, it's a, I mean, I, I had a what the actual fuck moment when I got a letter and I so I got my, my wife and she read it and we put all of our degrees together to try and figure <laughs> out... <laughs> Yeah, it was the only thing we're good at is gathering degrees to try and figure out the logic of this. And it's, yeah, it's very, I mean, it stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, and again, it's one of these things where people don't know, right? Like, and, and 
people hearing this, if you're listening, like, and, and you didn't know this, this is how this stuff kind of works. Uh, this is what it can come down to. It's it's just horrible economic thinking alongside a moral expediency that is so cruel. I think. Yeah, and and so if I again, if I try and be the good, like, I always try and encourage my my um social science students to be good critical social scientists and put themselves in the position like you know see so if i put myself in both sides i'm thinking the legislation itself like the the maternal birth injury amendment is is like an is amazingly good thing right Mm -hmm. and it was really important and they did it and it's through and it's helping people i'm never going to take that away from them what really gets me though is that they just they had the opportunity right there in their hand Mm-hmm. you know it's not they're already doing the vast majority of the work the money we're talking about is money spread over many years you know it's many years and it's costs already borne by yeah people and amplified you know. by the society that we live in you know like yes, emphasis, exactly. you know, we, we don't often talk about um either cost of delay or um cost down the line exactly yeah and you know i, I I've talked with colleagues about this, and so we can see the immediate cost on the Fano because they just have to change their lives, you know, to to live a different way. And then we have the school. So, well, I mean, early childhood is out of the question for most of these kids, right? But if they do end up in a daycare, it's going to be carnage. So, but they go to school. If they don't, if they're not aggressive and dangerous. They're probably not going to get a teacher aid because it's super hard to get teacher aid funding, mm-hmm. and therefore they're going to be in a class and that you know that's going to have a problem. That's going to cause effects for everyone in that room, and they're going to go through school. They're probably going to have no kind of like understanding or very little understanding. Even if they, we want to get a diagnosis, the wait list to get a diagnosis in places can be more than two years for a child. And two years is enormous. Like yeah, it's a whole developmental all, period. Is like it's like yeah, why, why even bother, right? So, um, they get to a point where they just and, and if they become kind of like really difficult, they'll get excluded, they'll get stood down, they'll um their their families might fall apart. It happens more frequently than it does for able families, and. They could end up being uh, cost borne by the, you know, they could end up in a bloody act or national party youth concentration camp. They have probably a better name for it than that. What do they call them? Uh, the I don't know if they they just leave it up to our imaginations at this point. <laughs> right, adult prisons. So, <laughs> like... adult. Yeah, and and you know, and then we and then we get into that system and and we victim blame and make it all of that. And all of this started because that poor kid didn't have enough oxygen during their birth. And no one really, whereas if if ACC cover was given on day one, would be watching them, yeah. you know? It might be that those kids don't need a damn thing. But if we're watching them, right, and we've got this institution whose design it is to rehabilitate people who have suffered injuries, they watch and they try to help, yeah? yeah. And, I mean, it's not always perfect, but it's way better than than... The, the other option and I to me it's just it just seems like you know take your glasses off think about the ideology of, of you know we definitely should cover these babies yeah but 
almost everyone I've talked to has said that, regardless of their political bent. Also, babies with genetic disorders. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that was, a, that was a, a chance to do even more, right? Like, oh, this is going to be unfair to this particular uh, population. Oh, okay. Why don't we just include that as well? Because it's like an, it's an accident of chance or, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, I mean, it, it, and this this is where I really like the ACC policy that the Greens have as part of their general kind of health policy. What they've said is we need to start from a beginning where um, where causation uh, sits at that kind of route between the two-tier system and they just need to remove that and base it instead on what someone needs, right? A needs-based system. And, you know, the Agency of Comprehensive Care, and you can build that on the back of what ACC does and has done for a long time and is really good at. And, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not... It's most definitely not perfect. And there, you know, those of us in the kind of ACC realm would probably argue quite a lot about how you might do that. But at least it's challenging that core issue. You know, like um, if you go right back to the beginning of uh, Owen Woodhouse, the um, uh, the Royal Commission that established ACC, um, the Woodhouse principles did not distinct, did not say we should have causation at the at the root of our of our um, accident compensation. Because it makes no sense. No, right. So, and it was um, it was implemented with kind of like this one side and everyone said from day one, we really need to fix it by bringing in the other side. I mean, Sir Geoffrey Palmer, I think, has had, had several cracks at this um, in his tenure. Um, we, we've just had successive. I mean, we, we had, what, nine years of Helen Clark, who fully understood, still understands this as an issue. We had nine years of John Key, who fully understood this as an issue. Um, we had... Uh, did we have five years of, of Ardern and another year of Hipkins who are, have understood this? It's not like they don't know. They passed legislation close to it, right? It, um, yeah, that's right. In fact, they create a piece of legislation to fix. <laughs> Some of it. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is time, you know. And like, like I said in the in the article, my like, I can see people moving to the edges because – I think that split between the two tier system has got to the point where where people feel it so distinctly in their lives and they can see it and it hurts that they want change. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just uh, there are so many examples of this now. You know, this was a similar set of arguments was made by Labour around mental health cover for uh, victims of the Christchurch shooter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so very similar that, language around, the, but that would mean that people who weren't uh, from this particular thing who have mental health issues wouldn't be covered, and that's unfair. Like, yeah, okay, well, maybe cover everyone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and we many people made uh, the issue at the time. There was a a big push to try and get um, some serious change in the legislation around that time because of the the emotional kind of charge that that heinous um event had caused in, in the national psyche um yeah there were a lot of emails flying around and, and uh, people used the example if someone was working at one of the mosques went to and suffered the consequences versus someone who was walking past then they would have access to a ac cover because it's an employment part of their employment issue and and these 
you, you the, the, these things we need to take we need to look at this directly you know and yeah. I, I to me i think that baby brain injury is a perfect one for it because you don't get any more vulnerable the you know the movement from fetus to to newborn like that point is about as vulnerable as it gets right and at that exact point we had the ability to intervene you know for those kids who are worst affected by that process and they specifically excluded them against yeah i can i can't forgive it i mean yeah but it's, it doesn't really sound like something forgivable honestly <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, when I mean, the economics of the stuff gets involved and like gets tied to ideology, ends up with these kind of outcomes. You're like, okay, wait, something's gone wrong here. Something's gone very, very wrong. And like, I don't care if it costs too much. Like there should be a value set that precludes us from acting in this way. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I feel like Labour has lost its way on. You, they could have said it's very expensive, but don't worry, we're going to grow the economy and therefore we'll be able to afford it. I mean, well, I mean that, or any other number of ways to do it, right? Yeah, you, you could, you could, you could bullshit your way out of the cost thing in five minutes. And also, no one's going to challenge you on that. You're not going to have national trying to jump down your throat saying we can't cover it because it costs too much. Like exactly, that might have um, lost. That's one thing that might have lost national the election. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah. yeah, it's so out the gate. What can people do? Like, what what can actually be done here though? Because you know, you've had this legislative fight. It, it, wasn't successful um despite like quite a like a reasonable amount of coverage for what you call maybe a bit of a niche issue like hmm. usually this yeah. stuff doesn't get into the media at all you had two parties kind of backing it during a legislative process that made it easier to talk about what's next yeah i know um so my concern if this if the regime changes so if um if the national party become the dominant uh, party in the in the next government they tend to view acc they tend to push towards it being an insurance type scheme rather than being a care scheme so i very much doubt there would be even room to move there i had tried to talk to the acc spokesperson the national spokesperson about this I've, i'm going to forget his name he's the guy who's recently lost all of his portfolios because he was yeah then the bottom yeah, right, yeah. So, and it's now, I think, Simon Watt, um, who probably has, you know, won't even think about it until the election. Um, I'm also a part of a group called the ACC Futures Coalition, um, and we we don't stop with trying to um, get change. So we'll continue kind of this sort of process but probably the number one thing that anyone listening to this can do is try and get as many Green Party MPs into Parliament as possible. Uh-huh. Um, because they, amongst all of... Oh, and I should also say top, Raf Manji very quickly came back to me, very quickly understood this issue. He was like he was key around the, um, the mosque killings as well. He was key in that area and made the same kind of point about who gets mm-hmm. care and why. So he could he immediately got the link. I kind of really hope he wins. To be fair, because my conversation with him about this was actually like, okay, this guy really does understand uh-huh. what's happening. Um, but I think he needs to win in Ireland, and I don't know yeah. what's happening there. Um, so, but the green what we know is that the Green Party will be in Parliament. Their policy is well thought through. Is 
well connected to their existing kind of health frame and they will be able to advocate. And that's what we need, right? We need advocacy for the babies. Um, so I can I continue to kind of push this as well because I know to me, I'm like, okay, so the, the legislation has gone through, but we have the framework yeah. for carve outs. We could do a carve out. It's not it wouldn't be that difficult to amend it and say add babies in. So I'm gonna continue to push that definitely. No question. <laughs> do you think it I, I'd be very like I wouldn't expect it to be, but do you think it's the kind of thing that could become a, could become an election issue? And is it even one worth trying to make one, or is that going to make it too messy? Yeah, I mean, the, this is the issue with ACC stuff. I think more generally, it's um, it's really hard to get media attention for ACC. I I, I mean, I've always found it really interesting to you know, at, um, but perhaps it's because it is the legislation is very complex, so there's a lot of moving parts. And you need long form, so you need to be able to write decently about these sort of issues. It's very hard to get into quick bites. And I do think there's a level of, oh, ACC. Uh-huh. Yeah, but will it become an election issue? I'm not, you know, it's the most vulnerable people in our society, arguably, right? What is our job? And like, it's hard to find a person on the street who would say, bad luck, parents. You know, it, we're not really that kind of society. There are yeah. some, you know, but... Depends what street you're on, right? I think that's probably true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly in my little tiny rural community, every every single person I've talked to about it's like, what? Yeah. You know, they, yeah. regardless of their voting base, they're like, what? This seems ridiculous. There's a bunch of stuff like that, eh? Like, where it's a very clearly uh, an injustice, you know, not just an inequity. Uh, and when people know about it, they're like, we need to fix this. It's just they often don't know about it. Of the extent yeah. to which, like I think you said near the start of this um, recording, uh, people just expect that this stuff is covered. They do. And yeah, I mean, I, I that's why I use that term hush money, you know. We figure that these people are okay. And then when we hear about what's actually happened, like, you know, disabled people in state care and the horrors that mm-hmm. have, you know, we pull back and we think, this is just what? And the reason is we kind of think, you know, I mean, the, the classic is we're paying our taxes for this purpose, you know, and I mean, I I don't think we need to wrap it up in that at all. It's more just like we live in a collective society. We're all members of this society. We agree, you know, we have rights and responsibilities as citizens. And part of our job is to protect people who can't otherwise protect themselves. Yeah. Right. And that's that's our job as, you know, humans and it's there really isn't a a, a, like a a way you can even even arch libertarians i think would still look at brain injured babies and go no that's a case where we need to care for them otherwise what happens right like yeah you have to yeah well yeah again how arch right like there'll be some real motherfuckers um who would be like devolve back to the, the strong survive kind of rhetoric yeah um, and it's just because, you know, libertarianism and fascism are so close together at the moment. Um, but they wouldn't do it in a public setting, I would I would expect. No, yeah. Um, but just, I mean, it, like your, your average kind of sort of, you know, not that conservative libertarian would still, I think, say these babies, re- they really need our support. You know, just like we need to pay for the military, we need to look at these. You know, they you can't even look at them and go they're doll bludgers, because 
you know, imagine the, someone trying to say that. They're the fucking, yeah, it's, it's like a two day old baby. It's, yeah, you know, and it's not like the parents chose, like, no parent chooses this. Yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah. We do not choose this. Um, we live our lives, but, and yet, well, I mean, Labour had this right in front of them. Yeah. Kyle, like right in front of them. And it's that uh, neoliberal ideology just comes back to the root of all of it, I think. You know, this um, constant conception that something like ACC, you know, corporation um, should be run like a private entity, should be run like a business. Um, if we leverage too much uh, cost onto it, uh, then it's not going to be profitable um, or it's not going to break even or et cetera. Uh, and then you'd have to chop it up in other ways. You'd open up the gates for uh, ACT, if not national directly, for doing their kind of like privatization of the healthcare uh, system. Yeah. But even even on that kind of like electoral kind of reasoning, uh, which is incredibly uh, pathetic and bleak and, and we hate it, uh, I still don't think that in this case that makes sense. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think it does. And yeah, I couldn't, I mean, you know, the minister wrote a letter to me. I could, I just could not see the justification mm -hmm. in it. E even trying to be as reasonable as my academic training would allow me to, I could not see the justification in it. I tried to put aside my, I sent it to my, um, my brother who is just my, one of the most reasonable dudes on earth, you know, and uh, he doesn't have a brain injured kid. His kid, his kid's my niece and nephew that that just awesome you know, like able kids are getting on with it. And he's sort of same thing. And I, I have a good mate who's a very strong national uh, voter, conservative kind of guy. He's sort of reading this going, what? You know, it, it is very hard to see the the logic. And you, I think you would have to be a really strong technocrat, you know, policy wonk technocrat to be very buried in the kind of yeah. – and, and the detail. balance sheets themselves. Yeah, kind of that's, yeah. And you're right in there and you're like, this seems logical. And then whereas I'm stepping back and saying, you know, I, I don't take a job. Like, what would every man think? Just sit down with a beer with this argument. I, you know, it, it, it just you just can't. No. Yeah. And even, like, outside the narrow uh, bounds of, like, looking at it directly legislatively and... Um, alongside the budgetary constraints, I still don't think it really adds up. Like, no, I don't think so. I mean, the worst case scenario they would get by including babies is they would get the um, like the rare disorders people with the genetic conditions. They would be real. They would be justifiably fucked off, you know. And they would be like, "Why the hell are the brain injured babies getting it, where our you know genetically injured babies are not?" And I would be like. So I would then trade all of my advocacy from this side into that yeah. side. Okay, I would the next leave, one, right? Yeah, I would need. I would leave the babies to be looked after well by ACC, and I would go over to that side and go, right, let's get these kids in, you know, and that, and, and you know, and that would just draw more attention to what the Green Party are already saying. Yeah. You know? What does like from the cradle to the grave even mean at this point, right? You know, it's it's every time like I encounter this kind of response from the current Labour Party, I just say, like, "Who are you now? What 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 have you become?" It's a strange thing, yeah. I, I, I mean, one of the things that, and I don't, I don't know if it was a twenty seventeen, it might have been a twenty seventeen policy, the best start for every child. Mm -hmm. I remember at the time, 
reading or hearing about this and sitting down with my mate Roger, um, who taught with me at Massey, and say and saying best star for every child, and just shaking my head, thinking because knowing what what was going on, yeah, thinking really like okay, start from the worst then, start from those kids who absolutely need it, yeah, um, and yeah, and I just I just felt kind of like um yeah a bit weirded out by that um yeah i mean i haven't voted for the labor party for very many years so you know and i'm not a member and i wouldn't <laughs> but, <laughs> and look but, we're but, not look we don't have to we don't have to do that to critique them at this point no that's right but i like to think that they could win me back because i i'm a middle class white man you know yeah, they like, should they should be the target audience. <laughs> I should, right. You know, I'm a well-educated dude. I like I should be right in their target audience, you know. But but it it just they're so disconnected from my from my everyday life that I I can't I can't even imagine it. Um but not even, weird, I mean, yeah. yours, right? You've said like you've got conservative friends, other people in your community who also agree with you on this particular set of values. You know, this is not a left and right thing. Uh, you know, this is about um, human rights, essentially, that people recognize as such um, and human values that people recognize as like being a baseline. And yet, you know, we're, we're, we're so drawn into what can't we do as like the leading question of the day. Yeah. And messing with that, 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 uh, that distinction between in or not has been so embedded for the last oh goodness my whole life 50 something years in our whole process you know you think, and it's deeply do you think that is like a, a function of uh kind of third wayism and incrementalism to a large extent like where else can we even try to cut like pull things apart at this point if we're not moving like all moving slowly for the sake of moving slowly essentially yeah i mean I remember another thing that um, I was talking about at some point about transformation coming from multiple little steps. Yeah. And I, I, what occurred to me at the time was you can't really multiple little step your way around causation, except <laughs> with, right? Except with these little carve outs. And I, so, is that what you're going to do? Like, is that the plan? Is multiply carve out little, yeah. little bits until Which we know it doesn't work? No. Um, you know, it, it always create a lot of confusion, sadness, jealousy, angst, um, anger uh, in, in your voters because they're not in the carve-out or they think they should be in the carve-out or they discover there is a carve-out. And whereas the answer is to remove causation from the root of our health and welfare system and which should have never been there in the first place. That's yeah. the answer. And to do that, you need to transform something. And yes, it would be hard, but it's also the right thing to do, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum. And we we have two systems and they don't. Yeah. 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 I think we might leave it there. You know, we're, we're thinking maybe we'll get into some of this um kind of more right wing uh, edge of where our health and health economics might be going. Um, but I think we could probably just do another two hours on that. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to um, take away from the message that we have heard this evening either. So we'll wrap it up. 
Um, are there any final things that you wanted to uh, say just around uh, the experience or around uh, where people can look to get involved? I'd say I my request to you, um, if you're listening to this and you're you're kind of interested and you'd like to know what to do, is please go and read the full Green Party ACC policy. It's available on the website. I'm also not a member of the Green Party, <laughs> but it really does demonstratively lay out all of the problems and how they may be resolved through our electoral system. Just go and read it. Like, read the the page and see how it connects to the health system and see what the issues are and how they're suggesting we might be able to address them. Because it's I don't think it's that frequently that you get to see what transformation looks like, you know? And if you go and read it, I've made all my students read it. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, you know, and I, and I could argue about lots of areas in it, but to actually have the kind of uh, the ability to lay out the problem and suggest what the solution could be in this area, just go and, you know, immerse yourself in ACC for a bit and think about it. Yeah, and then uh, um, my sort of uh, response to people out there, if you have or know of people who have got babies with brain injuries and are struggling, reach out, please. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is at AndrewDixon13. Reach out, DM me. I will help you if I can possibly help you. I'll connect you to people or do things because you are my people and I do want to help you. And I'll drop uh, a bunch of those links in the summary. So, And I'll, I'll link to your Twitter as well, if that's okay, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and, and sharing this with us. It's such a, there's so many of these, but it's it's one of those other just like hidden issues that gets subsumed by the wider political uh, conversation. Um, and especially during election year, uh, where we don't get to talk about anything really, it turns out. Uh, so thank you for coming along and, and sharing your experiences. Um, yeah, shining some light on what's actually happening for people. My pleasure. Thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to hear my story. No, of course. Um, and yeah, we're, we're trying to do this more and more. I've, I've chucked some links in there. So uh, go and read that policy. Um, go go and see some of these other uh, groups that are working in the space. Uh, we've got all our own links down there as well. I, I'm not going to be so uh, gauche as to uh, hard fundraise off this. Um, but share this around. Like let other people know because it's mostly about communicating it uh, to a wider audience, uh, to people who are trying to deal with these processes and haven't had the capacity or the resources to even engage with them because of the realities of their lives. Let people know that there's advocacy out there, that there are ways forward, that there are people to connect with. Um, and yeah, just share the message. That's been another midweek podcast from one of 200. We'll catch you on the weekend for some current events. See you later. If our fences are Pointless, my blood learning all your lessons Fucking politics, it's no distinction The words are now It's paid with good intentions And I'll admit that I'm At a loss for what to say When they cross this as a cost we ought to stay Cause I live amongst the people